qualifying us for life we thank you that we can call you father and we thank you that you call us your children we pray that may christ alone be exalted in our midst in the name of our lord jesus amen and amen god bless us all it's another week and we are really privileged we are really really privileged to see another day life is a gift never forget that life is a gift arrogance make you think that you have tomorrow when all that you have is today oh, god being so good we are beginning a new series we are beginning a new series hopefully this will be a shorter series as compared to previous ones and so far we have done who told you we have done spiritual gifts. We have done the parable of the loving father. We have done in the garden. And we are beginning a new series we want to title His Poema. His Poema. And Poema is spelled P-O-I-E-M-A. Poema. His Poema. And I believe by the time we are done with our study, you will know which strange word i'm mentioning so let's take our anchor scripture ephesians chapter 2 last week which was the last episode of our series in the garden we ended on ephesians chapter 2 and we are taking off from there we are still continuing our study so ephesians chapter 2 from the verse 6 or let's start from the verse 5 even when we were dead in sins he has quickened us together with christ he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he make us sit in heavenly places? The verse 7 tells us that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. Verse 8, for by grace you are saved through faith and is not of yourself, it is a gift from God. So you have no role to play in salvation. Man did not pray for salvation. Man did not even know that it was possible to be saved. The devil did not even know it was possible because if he had known, he wouldn't have crucified Christ because he knew he was just jeopardizing himself, but he did not know. So in fact, no being ever knew the extent to which God was willing to go for us. And man did not play a part. So you didn't even know. So you don't even play a part. So he said it's purely by grace through faith. And it's not of yourself. It's a gift from God. Not of works. Least any man should boast. You do not contribute in any way in you being saved. In you being delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In you being delivered from being a slave to the devil. From being a slave to sin. To be a king and a priest unto God. As I gave the example last week. 
that when a man and a woman meet together in marriage and they give birth, you do not play a role in your coming forth. It was Mr. A and Mrs. B that met, and you are a product of their reaction. So in the same way, there was a reaction where God was in Christ and he did something. And the outcome of what he did is salvation. So that's the verse. He said, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now our main scripture for perusal for this episode, sorry, for this series is in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. And that version says, we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is our main scripture for this series that we'll be studying. And I believe by now you should have memorized some scriptures if you have been a religious follower of what you have been studying so far from who told you. Certain scriptures like um, Romans 8 verse 14 as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. It's a scripture I believe you have used several. And scriptures like this, I believe if you have listened to us, you should have one way or the other in Bible. And this is another interesting scripture. I'm hoping that by the end of our study, one way or the other, you should have sticked in your brains or in your minds. Ephesians chapter 2, the verse number 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has before ordained that we should work in them. His poema. Now, last week and last episode, we were trying to take us through a journey. It was a summary. There was so much that happened. But we're just trying to summarize what God did for man. And we emphasize on the fact that there was a price we needed to pay because we have sinned. And that price was death. So it's like you working in a bank. If you work in a bank, every month your boss or your employer is supposed to give you a wage. It's supposed to give you a salary. So if you work in the company called Sin, at the end of the month, they're supposed to give you a wage. And that wage is called death. And that was what the agenda of the enemy was. But little did anybody know that God was willing or God in Christ was willing to take the place of man. So then the Christian life is not a character modification life. The Christian life is not an improved life. The Christian life is not a polished life, but the Christian life is an exchanged life. So God in Christ took your life so that we may have his life. God took your sin so that we may have his life or we may have his righteousness. God took your ashes so that you may have his beauty. God took your poverty so that you may have his riches. And now what was in, in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, that don't you know the greatness of God towards you, that for your sake, it is for you that God was born in a manger. God did not own anything. It was for your sake that he was borrowing all his life. One of my spiritual instructors led to, or if there's one that you put on the topic entitled Jesus the Borrower. Because Jesus all his life was borrowing. The donkey he took to Jerusalem, he borrowed it. The tomb he slept in, it was a borrowed tomb. Where he had his crossover meal, it was not his place. Like the whole life of Jesus was borrowing. And the reason why Jesus lived that kind of life was so that you would enjoy his riches. The reason why Jesus was bruised, the reason why they lashed him, the reason why the kings tore his flesh, it is by so doing that he would purchase your healing so jesus was humiliated so that you will not be humiliated 
God turned his back on Jesus so that he could face you. So on the cross, he said, why have you forsaken me? So God turned his back on Jesus so that he could turn his face towards you. God rejected Jesus so that he could accept you. God died so that you could live. So the Christian life is not a character modification life. It is an exchanged life. It's a life where God takes off your death stick and God gives you his life. It's very important we understand this. So I know most often than not, we like to characterize people as Christians by, let's say the person used to smoke. And now because the person has stopped smoking, we are saying the person is born again. That's true. But that is not all that there is to salvation. It's not as if God has taken your life like a monkey and God has put makeup on the monkey. No, God has not put makeup on you. He has given you a new life. That is why you must be born again. You must come fresh. And when that happens, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, that behold, if any man be in Christ, he says, look, and we'll be getting there. That'll be our topic. He says, look, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That means that maybe a monkey enters into Christ. He doesn't come out as a, as a monkey that has gone through makeup or as a monkey that has gone to the spa or a monkey that has gone for plastic surgery. No, you enter as a monkey and you come out as a dog, that kind of thing. So there's an exchange. So you entered as a dead person, but you came up as a living person. You entered as a person full of sickness, but you came up as someone who enjoys the life of God. So the Christian life is an exchange life. And the Bible says that this exchange life is a new creation. Now, what do we mean by something is new? It means that it has never existed before. And what does it mean by it has never existed before? It means that it has no past. It has no history. So the Bible is saying that anybody who has expressed faith in Jesus, you do not have a past because you never existed. Think about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the verse number 17. 2 Corinthians 5. Personally, take your Bible and look at it again. I'm not sure there's anybody who is in the scripture for the first time. If any man be in Christ, so as long as you change your geographical location and enter into a location called in Christ, you are a new creation. And the Bible means that if he lives there, some of us will have so many issues. So it went a step further to give us a little detail of what it means to be a new creation. He said, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. You are a new creation. That is why in Ephesians 2, as we read, Paul took us through a summary. He took us through the fact that first we were dead in trespasses and sins. Then God through the process of redemption, quickened us together to him. by a, uh, And he has made a package available. And that package is a package of grace and is accessed by faith. And immediately he said that he went on to the verse 10. So from verse 8, you are saved by grace, not of yourself. The verse 9 said, for you are his workmanship. So immediately you enter into this process or immediately you partake in the process of redemption, you come out as God's masterpiece. And that is where our title for this series is titled, the word masterpiece, the Greek word is poema. That's where the English derive the word poem. So the Bible is saying that you are God's poem, you are God's masterpiece, you are God's workman. And for this, if you will just be considering that or these few words, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's poema. You are God's best. I, I just took a liberty of looking for the word masterpiece. And this is what it says. The word masterpiece doesn't just refer to a creation. 
of a creator, but it refers to the greatest work of a person's career. The greatest work of a person's career. So the Bible is letting us know that among all the things God created, you are the best of his creation. Now when I mean you, I'm not talking about the old man you. I'm not talking about Adam. So Adam was not God's best. Mm. The Bible said that in Genesis chapter 1, let's go at a statement that God made when he created man. So Genesis chapter 1, you know, when God created, it was good. It was good. It was good, but I don't know if you have taken notes. One of the days, he didn't say it was good. There's a revelation over there. I won't want to go over there. But you know, almost all the days of five out of the six days, when he created everything, it was good. It was good. But one of the days, he didn't make a comment to it. And when he got to the creation of Adam, what did he say? So Genesis chapter 1. Yes. So the verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So creation was very good. But you, a person who has expressed faith in Christ, you are not very good. You are his best. You are God's best. You are God's greatest asset. You are God's greatest invention. You are God's iPhone 12. (laughs) That's the latest phone. Now the issue is that we don't really appreciate the reality of we being God's masterpiece, of we being God's best. And the reason is because when we became born again, the Bible tells us in First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, that as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God, that you may grow thereby. That is why Ephesians said that immediately you get born again, one of the first things you should know when you come out of the factory of redemption is that you are God's best work. And that is why you must be fed with the word of God. Now, the word of God is described as a mirror. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Now we say that, but we all with open face beholding us in a glass or us in a mirror, the glory of God, we are being changed into that same image of glory, even to glory, even as by his spirit. There's this common example that is given. What do you do with the mirror? You look at your face or you look at your body in the mirror so that you would make adjustments to what is not supposed to be there and the best example is ladies because i think that they spend most time in the mirror i have mirror in my room but i don't my last time i don't look at it consciously but you see when a lady is dressing she looks in the mirror and she straightens i don't know the process of makeup so i can't really give details but i know they do foundation they do some pencil work and they do some some things on their face. Now, what are they doing? They are looking in the mirror and based on what they see, they are making corrections or they are making adjustments on their face to suit a particular perfect image. So, Brother Paul is telling us that when you look into the mirror, you are supposed to make an adjustment and this mirror is the word of God. So, when you look into the mirror, what are you supposed to see? You are supposed to see that you are God's best, you are God's masterpiece, you are God's poema. So, any aspect of your life that is not alive aligning to the reality of God's word, you are supposed to make a change of it. And you see, it's very important that you understand this. Other than that, you will not be able to live out the reality of the exchange life that you have. Because James tells us that any man who reads the word and forgets, is like a man who has looked into the mirror and has forgotten what he has seen. So imagine you have done a makeup, you are a lady, and you use um, a pink um, pencil, 
I hope I'm using the technical word, the technical terms, on your eyebrow or on your lips, or you have used a pink makeup. Let me just be safe. You know the image you saw. So imagine that if you step out of your room and someone told you that your makeup, the green color doesn't fit with your skin, what would be your response? You see that there's a contradiction because you know that your makeup was pink. And this is what's happening to many believers because we don't look into the mirror of God's word. So we don't know who we are after we have exchanged our lives with God. Therefore, circumstances and people are always labeling us. And see, that's very important. And the reason why this is important is because everybody that is born into this world is born into a fight. And this fight you are born into has a way of labeling you. That is why immediately you exchange your life. You must make that conscious effort every day to look into the mirror of the Word of God and any aspect of your life that is not in alignment with the Word of God. You must make the adjustments, not the Word of God adjusting to your situation. So the Bible tells us that you are God's best, but many of us are not living, or many of us don't look at ourselves in that way because circumstances and people have told us otherwise. And as I said earlier, like everybody is born into a fight. And this fight, one way or the other, has a way of labeling you. So whether you like it or not, as long as you are born, you are born into a fight. Maybe as long as you are born, whether you are a man or a woman, you have your own fight because there are certain challenges men will go through that women will not go through. So whether you are born, a man or a woman you have your own fight and even if you are born a man you have certain challenges based on where you are born whether you are born in africa or in europe when you are born in africa you have certain challenges to go through whether you are born in europe you have your own challenges to go to now whether you're born as a white person or as a colored person you have your own challenges whether you are born in a rich family or a poor family you have your own challenges so whichever circumstance you find yourself in you are born into a fight and that is why it's important after you express faith in Jesus, you must make that effort to look in the mirror and see who you are. Other than that, the fight you were born into has a way of labeling you. I want to just take two quick scenarios of two people who were born into a fight, and this fight they were born into gave them a tattered image of themselves, gave them an inaccurate image of themselves. So when God met these people, the first thing God has to do is that God has to give you an accurate image of yourself. That is why in Ephesians chapter 2, immediately Papa Paul told us that you have been redeemed, you have, you have been saved. The next thing he went on to say is that you are God's best. He must introduce who you are to you other than that you will not live the reality of your exchange life so let's take two quick examples of people who do not know what god has made them the first person is gideon in judges chapter six most of us are familiar with the story so i won't read everything about the story but i just want to read some verses just to refresh your mind on the fact that you are born into a fight so now this is judges chapter six I just want to read from the verse. I'll just be reading some selected verses. So chapter 6, I will start with the verse 6. The Bible said, And the Israelites were greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the Israelites cried unto God. And when they heard their cry because of Midian, God sent the prophet. And he, so now let me just skip to the verse the verse 11. So we know that the Israelites, because of their sin, were being bamboozled by the Midianites. So whenever they planted any crop or whenever they planted a seed, the Midianites will wait. When is the period of harvest? Then the Midianites will come and take away their harvest. So they were, there was no need in sowing because when you sow, somebody else will come and reap. And because of this fight, the people or the generation of Israelites were born into, they did not have any hope again. And now God is addressing a man called Gideon. So now in the verse 11, 
Now look at what happened. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree, which belonged to Josh, the Rezarite. The son of Gideon was beating wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So Gideon was growing his crops, he was beating his wine press, and he was doing it under an oak tree in the wine press so that the Midianites would not come and take his harvest. And the verse 12 tells us that. Listen to what happened. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man. <laughs> God really has a sense of humor. Look at the greeting. Though. He says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man. Now look at what Gideon says. Then Gideon said to him, Oh, sir, if the Lord is with me, why is all this befalling me? Now, because this is Bible, that generation was different. Let me try and put it in our generation. So it's like, imagine you are being Gideon and you are high, and a man appears to you and tell you that. Hello, brother Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And I'm sure Gideon was like, Papa man, I'm sure you're in the wrong place. He says, the Lord is with you. So you mighty man of valor. Then Gideon said, that if the Lord is with me, why are all these things befalling me? And so that's the verse 13. Where are all the wondrous works of which our father told us? Did not God bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has given us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord or the angel turned to him and said, go in your mind. So now this is what happened. The angel appeared to this coward timid man and told the person hello man of valor and the man was like hey this is the wrong address because if you are not aware we are being bamboozled by the midianites even though we are claiming to come from an origin or we are claiming to have a history where god has delivered us where god has done mighty things in case you have forgotten that god is no longer existence and the angel is responding and said that go in the strength of your might because you shall deliver the people out of the hands of the Midianites. And Gideon said to him, Oh Lord, how can I deliver Israel? God is saying that you are his masterpiece. God is saying that you are his best work. And you are looking at God and saying, God, are you sure you're talking to the wrong right person? Are you forgetting that I was never chosen in secondary school? I was never chosen in primary school. When they wanted a blackboard cleaner, I never qualified for it. When guys were chasing ladies in the class, I was never picked by even the most ugliest guy in court in the classroom. I've forgotten that I can't even answer a question in class. I've forgotten that my looks do not match up to the so-called standards of the slave queens or the so-called standards of the hot people. I can't even speak. I'm not even academically good. I'm not, there's nothing good about me because I am being bamboozled by the fight I was born into. But the angel said that, how can I deliver them? You are calling me God's best. Look at me. What aspect of my life is God's best? Even among my siblings, I'm not regarded. My voice doesn't matter. That's what the situation that Gideon was going through. And the angel said that you shall deliver him, you mighty man. Now look at the verse 15. And Gideon said to him, how can I deliver the Israelites? Look at what he says. Behold, my clan is the poorest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. <laughs> I don't want to think that. I don't want to see the image that life had given to Gideon. What Gideon was telling him that in the, you know, in the Israelites, they had 12 tribes. And his tribe was the least among the Israelites. That was the tribe of Manasseh. And among the least tribe, his clan was the least. And his clan was the poorest among the least. <laughs> Interesting. So now among the least, he is the poorest among the least. And among the poorest, <laughs> he is the least of the poorest. Hey, mercy. So Gideon was the least he was the poorest of the least of the least. Like he was, if we are saying that, if we take a congregation of thousand people, and I'm sure the Israelites were more than hundreds of thousands, and among all these hundreds of thousands of people, he was the least of them. 
because among all the 12 tribes, his tribe was the least. Among the least, his clan was the poorest. And among the poorest, he was the least of the poorest. This was a man who had been bamboozled by life. Thus, he doesn't have an accurate image of who he is. And this same man who is the least of the least, the Bible calls him, you mighty man of valor. And it's the same thing that happened to David. In First Samuel chapter 17, you know God had instructed the prophet Samuel to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. And it's very interesting that God did not even tell Samuel who should go and they just go and anoint one of Jesse's sons. And even his father, when he was bringing the sons, he did not even think that David qualified to be a king. So he did not even remember to add David to the extent that when the prophet asked Jesse, that are these all your sons? He said, Yeah, these are all my sons because they're coming to anoint the king. And these are the sons that are qualified to be a king. And the prophet Samuel was like, No, it's not possible. Because the person that I'm supposed to anoint as king, he is not part of them. So even in the house of David, his father and his siblings did not thinking that he was qualified to be a king. So when they were calling for people to be anointed as kings, he was nowhere to be found. So you see a man of Gideon, he was bamboozled by circumstance. And you see a man of David, he was bamboozled by people's opinions about him. So your image may have been tattered either by the circumstance you were born into, or by the circumstance you have gone into, or by the people that have told you. Therefore, when God says that you are his masterpiece, many of us don't appreciate this thing. Many of us don't appreciate that we are God's best. Many of us don't appreciate that we are God's greatest creation. Many of us don't appreciate that you are God's point to the world because of the fight you are born into, because of what parents have told you, because of what siblings have told you, because of the circumstance you find yourself in, you have always been the bottom of the class. You have never topped in anything. Even in sports, you are not even there. There is nothing that you qualify, but the Bible says that if any man be Christ, he is a new creation. And what is this new creation? You are God's masterpiece. This is our word unto you for tonight. God is telling you to look into the mirror of the world. And the first image that God wants you to have after you have expressed faith in him is that you are his best. It's because you are his best. You are God's masterpiece. Maybe you are the last born among five siblings or three siblings and they never consider your opinion in regarding anything. You know, being and the last one, and being the last one is really interesting. Even if you are 30 years old, as long as you are the last one, they think you have nothing valuable to come to, to contribute. Maybe you are also the first one, and your parents feel like you are not living up to expectation. Maybe you have never done well academically. You are not an eloquent speaker, so you think that there is nothing good. All you think you are good for is being a prayer warrior. All you think you are good for is just being an usher in church. Even an usher, you don't think you qualify. Because when you look at the ushers in the church, you think that your beauty doesn't match up to them. But sweetheart, God came to tell you through his word that you are his best. Look into the mirror of the word. And the first thing you should see is that you are his poema. So I would like to pause here. You know that I welcome my friends to give their commentary or their questions. So if you have any question or commentary, on the first aspect of the verse of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that we are God's masterpiece. So I'd like to invite Abena first. Okay, so I have a commentary, a little a short commentary on we are God's masterpiece. So when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are saved, right? 
and we don't just receive an assurance of our salvation but also we are recreated by God's power and in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 it says if a man be in Christ he is a new creation old things are past behold all things are new we become new people even though physically we remain unchanged in our old bodies we become God's masterpiece when we are saved by grace other versions will say we become God's handiwork or God's workmanship and I believe anything the Lord makes is definitely a masterpiece God never makes any inferior products therefore you are not inferior so we should always keep that in mind that we are never inferior no matter what people say no matter what others think about us always know that you are God's masterpiece you might not feel like you are a masterpiece now because maybe you are you are sick in a part of your body you are aging or you are struggling to do things at work or at school among others but i want to let you know today that your status as God's masterpiece does not have to do with how healthy you are or how accomplished you are in this world. You are a masterpiece because of what God has done in your life by His grace. You have been created in Christ so that you can live for His glory and have a relationship with Him. Amen. Amen. God bless you so much. Ben, kindly give us a comment. Thank you very much for this opportunity. All right, I believe we've learned a lot from today's study. And from this position, we got to know that we become God's masterpiece when we are born again. And this is something that an apostle Paul said that God had planned of these things before the foundations of the earth. Yes, so God had it as in mind as our human beings being the apex of his creation even before he started to create the world yeah so i just want to encourage us let us know that it still boils down to what the word of god says concerning our lives we are not victims of our circumstances or the happenings that are going around us it's very unfortunate that most of the times we Christians suffer from the things that people say about our lives. And we tend to pay more attention to what people say rather than what the word of God, which is the truth, says about our lives. But Jesus Christ said that when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. So I just want to encourage us that the word of God says that we are the masterpiece of God and that's final. So you don't need someone to prove to you you don't need someone on earth god is the ruler of this world and his words bible said i swear are here and amen so we just have to accept that and ask god for the grace to see the manifestation of the masterpiece templates in our lives here so we shouldn't let the things that people think about us say about us our circumstances run our lives but we should let the word of god which is our mirror show us the things that we ought to do the things that we ought not to do and once we get to know it deep down in our minds that we are the masterpiece of god i believe life is going to get better so i'm just encouraging us that we should lay hold of the word of god and believe it 
that if God has said that we are his masterpieces, then indeed we are his masterpieces. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you so much. So we invite Baba to give us a commentary on you are God's masterpiece. Thank you very much. I would say that the writer to say we are God's masterpiece, it means that God, like a whole God, God himself um, decided to, I'm seeing it in the short term, like God decided to mobilize resources and put things together just so we can come out as his best work. This implies that we are the best thing that could ever happen to God. For example, even artists or those who are into craft and all those things, they put a higher price on their item because it takes a lot of effort to arrive or make a nice portrait or a nice craft. So it's also the same. If we are God's masterpiece, or then it means that we are the very best of God's creation. We are the best thing that could ever happen. So we shouldn't underestimate ourselves or think less of ourselves, but rather we should be assured and encouraged that we are the very best of God's work. Amen. Amen and amen. You are God's best. So we take the final one, a commentary or a question from Mama Bene. Um, okay, thank you very much. I, I have a question. My question is to see with creation. I watch quite a number of documentaries on the universe and how man has not been able to find the end of the universe yet. The beautiful galaxies. I also love watching the clouds, the beautiful clouds and all that God has made. And um, when you compare some of the creations of God to man, you realize that man is very, very small. Man is very tiny and man is seemingly very insignificant so sometimes um, when I'm told or when I read about the fact that I'm God's best or like God's masterpiece I find it like difficult to um, relate and I would want to know why God calls me his masterpiece is it because um, he spent time to create me is it because Christ died for me yeah, is it because he, um, as compared to other creations, Baba said he puts in so much effort in us, and that's why he calls us um, his masterpiece. Because yeah, my point is, as compared to other creations of God, man seems to be insignificant, and even some says it's what man that you are mindful of. Yeah, so why does God call us his masterpiece and miss the wonderful creations that he has made? All right, God bless you for your question. Okay, so your question, I want to break it down in two parts. The first one was, you find it difficult to believe that God calls you his masterpiece. And the second part is that, what about us qualifies us to be God's masterpiece? So the first part of your question is something I've also been, been boggling my mind in the sense that we find it very difficult to believe God. So if you go to the hospital and the doctor looks at some scans and does some tests, and tells you that, oh, you have a cancer or you have a diabetes. Immediately he speaks these words. Everything about us changes. Our mood changes, our behavior changes, our, our emotions changes. Everything about us changes. When you go to the exams room and your results comes out, 
and it's not a result that you're expecting. Interesting, the same thing. Everything about you changes. Even the says hi. Automatically, some butterflies are released from your body. Interestingly, everybody is able to get to us except God. God calls you the apple of his eyes. He doesn't tickle you. God calls you that you are his masterpiece. He doesn't tickle you. God said, I loved you with an everlasting love. He doesn't tickle you. God said that he has tattooed your image on the palms of his heart. He doesn't love you. He sent his own son. In fact, for the first time in eternity, God literally died just to make a statement to you. Yet still, these words, some way, somehow, don't seem to get to us. Because I don't know, for some strange reason, we have been wired to believe every other report concerning our life than the report of God. And it's something I believe that as believers, we should find a way around it. Because it's very sad. Because when God tells something about you, you don't believe. But every other report, you believe. And some of the reports that men give to us, most often than not, they are lies. A guy approaches a lady and says, you are the most beautiful lady in the world. You, the lady listening to this, you know very well that upon all the 7 billion human beings and the, I don't know, the population of ladies, you know very well that you are not the most beautiful lady. But yet still, his words are able to get to you. And the same applies to for guys. But when the creator of the universe calls you his own, says that I have chosen you, it doesn't tickle you. And I always make this scenario that when I was younger, I was never chosen to play football. You know, when we meet in a neighborhood and want to have a football match, mostly the two star people in a team, they will set themselves aside and will be picking, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. And mostly, I'm always the last. So the person who picks last, he has to choose me by force. And some way, somehow, these things sometimes affect us. But when the Bible says that God has chosen you, God has qualified you, these things don't seem to get to us. In something as human beings, we should start training our senses to believe more the report of God than any other report, even the report of the Father. Because just as happened in the case of David, even David's father did not believe that he had what it takes to be a king. Even David's siblings did not believe that he had what it takes to be a king. I dare say that even Samuel himself, because he looked at somebody else and thought that surely this person was the one God had anointed. So even the prophet didn't know that David was king, but that was the person that God has chosen. And so that tonight, our podcast is just to remind you, in case you have allowed the battles of life to give you a distorted image about yourself, that no matter the fight you are going through, you are God's masterpiece. Okay, so to the second part of your question, it's, it's about amongst all of God's creation, why is man so special? And it's the same thing that the psalmist asked when he was like, what is man that you are mindful of? Well, I'll just give a short answer, then hopefully next week, when we are looking at the second part of this study, and I'll throw more light on it. Now, the reason why man is special, the reason why above all of God's creation, he dared to die for man, is because man was made after the image of the person that God loves the most. Now, we establish in in the garden that Jesus is the centrality and the universality of all things. Jesus is the purpose of God. Jesus is the reason of God. Jesus is the reason why God does anything and everything he does. And he is the delight of the Father. Now, because man was made after the image of the person whom the Father likes, he cannot let us go. So I always like to give this example. If you have a, a, a child, maybe a baby girl, and you have bought her a doll, or a teddy bear, 
and your daughter or your, yeah, your daughter likes this teddy bear so much because of your daughter's love for the teddy bear you would automatically love the teddy bear not because you necessarily love it but because the person you love loves the teddy bear so imagine one day you come home and the teddy bear is lying on the floor and you stumble up on it and you nearly trip and fall down you want to get angry and just throw the teddy bear away but immediately you pick the teddy bear the image that comes into your mind is your daughter so maybe if you are you're having that kind of child that cannot sleep without the teddy bear or cannot sleep without this particular toy you dare not throw the toy away because you know if you throw the toy away your daughter cannot sleep so now because we are made after the image of jesus god cannot let us go so god loves us because we are made after the image of jesus now and also ephesians 2 tells us that we are his masterpiece created in christ jesus now man is naturally loved by god but the man in christ jesus is more than loved by god and next week when we are looking at created in christ jesus for our study we will delve deeper into this aspect of your question so um you would like to just end over here as we would like to take a word of prayer now there's a common example that is also given that i think fits into this description and they mostly i'm sure you have seen these illustrations on videos people have done videos on it talking about if somebody should give you money that is crumpled or money that is stepped upon the value of the money is not affected by the more treatment the money has gone through when somebody gives you a 200 ghana cd note no matter how dirty the money is no matter how crumpled the money is even if the money is torn you find a way of selling paper it together because regardless of the circumstance the money has been through the value of the money remains the same so also it is with us you are god's masterpiece regardless of the labels that circumstances and people have given concerning you david was chosen as king whether jesse recognized him as king or not as long as god had chosen that david was the one i'm going to anoint as king that alone was enough the same can be said about joseph as long as jacob his father loved him and gave him the rope or the garment of many colors whether his siblings hated him or not it did not change the value that god or the father has placed on joseph so also it is with us your friends may not appreciate you your siblings may look down upon you the circumstance you find this or the circumstance you find yourself in you are not from a good financial background you are not academically intelligent maybe you don't see yourself to be eloquent or to be gifted it doesn't diminish the truth that you are god's masterpiece so we would like to pray a simple prayer that god may we never forget our value may we never forget the price that is upon our heads remember we studied the other day that when God was deciding to redeem us, he didn't redeem us with silver or gold because one soul is worth more than all the silver you can ever find in this world, than all the gold you can ever find in this world. Honey, we came to remind you that you are God's masterpiece, regardless of the circumstance you find yourself, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your academic ability. You are the chosen of God. You are the accepted of God. Jesus tells us that you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are a city set upon a hill. You have been called into a place of influence. Peter calls us a chosen generation. When people are rejecting you because you are too tall or you are too short, when people are rejecting you because you are not academically 
inclined as they are because when people are rejecting you because they think that you are not beautiful god says that he has chosen you god says that he has accepted you god says that he has anointed you he has separated you we want to pray that father may we never forget the price that you have put upon us may we never forget our value may we never forget that we are children of a king may we never forget that you have made us kings and priests unto do. May we never forget that you are our Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. God bless you so much for being around. And God willing, next week, we will look at created in Christ Jesus. And we will begin off with understanding the effects of forgetting that you are in Christ Jesus. You would abort your baby if you forget that you are God's masterpiece in Christ Jesus. God bless you so much. Remember to give God your best and make sure that you don't owe your parents honor. Make sure you don't owe your boss a diligent work. Make sure you don't owe your friends honesty. Make sure that the only thing you owe any man is love. God bless you and see you next week. We really appreciate you. Bye. Bye-bye. My soul longs for you, this heart beats for you.